People here don't know you? No, they don't. It's very true. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I am Millie. Um, I am... 23, I'm 24 next did, week. Did you forget then? Well, no, I was going to do that really annoying thing where like, you know, when somebody says, 24. how old are you? And I go, well, I'm 24 next week. So you're 23. Like at this point in time, you're 23. I'm going to um, avoid that for the whole of the next year because it means me saying I'm nearly 40. Oh, nice. So I'm going to happily cool. be 39 for the yeah, rest okay. of the year. I think you reach a certain point in your life where, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so 23, 24 next week. Married, married to a guy called Ben. Um, he isn't here tonight. He's leading worship at our church um, in Sedgley. We go to Sedgley Community Church, um, and we kind of we've been there for eighteen months ish. Um, we run the young adults there, so um, we're really blessed that your, your young adults actually join us, which is great. Um, just a, a quick plug: if you are between the ages of eighteen and thirty, and you want to come first end of every month, pop along, come with Libby and Luke. Luke's actually speaking at the next one, so that'll be nice to come and support him. Um, so yes, it's just really nice to be here, actually. Cool, that's great. Well, I'm going to pray for you. Fab, I'm going to let you loose. Thank you. Lord God, I just thank you for Millie. I thank you for um, the work that you've called her to uh, uh, in Sedgley, Lord God, and we just pray a blessing on that. We thank you for, for her and, and Ben and all they do as a couple. But right now, we just ask Holy Spirit that as she comes to speak to us, you, you'd fill her up, Lord God, that the message that, that you've given her for us, Lord God, would be one that we'd just take to heart. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Okay, um, massive apologies, first of all. Um, this morning, I had a little accident with my Weetabix, and I've burnt my tongue, so I am constantly thirsty. So if I am sipping from this, it's not because I'm nervous. Yes, please. Um, I actually just have a really dry mouth. Um, so yes, it's really great privilege to be here with you this evening. And um, yeah, this was probably the uh, most last-minute preaching appointment ever um, arranged at possibly about half past ten on Friday night so I agreed to this while quite tired and Ruth thought that wasn't going to actually turn up so um, I am here um, yeah so it's just a real privilege to be with you um, the word I want to bring to you tonight is um, a word that I brought to our church a few months ago and, and the thing is sometimes with when you preach and when you're delivering a, a message it can be quite difficult um, in the sense that sometimes what you're preaching about is as much for you as it is for the person or the people that you believe that you need to bring it to. And so I brought this message to our church and I recognise that, that God doesn't move in, in ways that make us comfortable. And that, that can be a real challenge to us. And I've had to really rely on God to speak to me and, and to challenge me and... Um, to challenge me on the things that actually break his heart. And I remember being about the age of 16 and it was when that, that song came out, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I remember actually one day of saying, you know what, God, do that in me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And, and as a 16-year-old, you kind of, you pray it, but you don't necessarily realise the impact that, that will have. And so um, I prayed this prayer and, and suddenly I'm... Um, I'm, I'm sensing things in my heart and I'm like, oh man, that, I'm watching things on the telly and I'm hearing things on the radio and I'm like, that's upset me. The late, Yesterday I was, I was driving along and I'd got the radio on and they were talking about the stress of planning hen weekends and stag do's and they got this girl on the phone who was planning her own hen weekend. And they said, 
well, if what your mates are planning is boring, what do you want to do? And she said, you know what? My ideal hen weekend is I just want to get smashed and I just want to not even remember it. And I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, you've got to do something for her because that absolutely broke me. I don't know that woman. I didn't even know her name. But I recognised that that prayer of break my heart of what breaks yours in an everyday situation, I'm seeing that and I'm sensing that. So... It's a powerful sentiment and, and it allows us to see drastic changes and it, it begins to see, you know, God unlocking things in our lives that we probably never believed um, we would see before. And so um, this kind of, this has kind of led me over the last 12 months or so to, to really begin to see um, things in my personal life that have, that have happened and things that have gone on that I never believed I would see or experience happen. Um, but you know, like, I'm beginning to see that if there was ever a time where I sensed God moving in a way that I saw a sense of his heart, it has been in this time. And so um, I'm developing in a confidence and a love for God that I've never ever had before and I'm, I'm realising that as time goes on, I need God. And you think, you know, oh, I've been a Christian for years and yet I've never known what it is to need God in the way that I need him today. And so it's taken for me to kind of deal with that. Like I don't like... Um, I don't say so this without sounding like a complete control freak. I don't like handing things over to people. I don't like actually putting my life in somebody else's hands and saying, go on, take that. And so for me to put God where, in the place where I'm saying, here you go, God, here's what I, here's what I have and I need you to deal with that. That's, be, that's become a, quite a learning curve and a, and a process that I've been through. And, you know, it's led me to a point where I can confidently stand and declare that it is well. And we sing that and we say that so many times, but I'm learning that assurance that, you know what, in every circumstance, in everything, God is good and God is God. And that is something that like, I'm really experiencing in my life at the moment. So that is where this message comes from, really. Um, you know, for understanding that I'm not the finished article, but I'm on my way to being where God wants me to be and to be what God wants me to be. So tonight... Um, I kind of want to look at the book of 1 Kings um, and focus a little bit on Elijah. And um, I won't read it all to you because it, it's a long passage of scripture. But 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19 looks at um, Elijah and, he, and it's at the, see, at the time of Elijah's ministry where there's no rain. And he is this prophet and he has, he's been sent by God to this area and there's no rain. And God has actually declared that there will be no rain until the people turn back to him. And so Elijah calls the prophets of Baal and he says, okay, what I want you to do is we're going to meet on a mountain and on this mountain um, we are going to um, sacrifice and we're going to see who the real God is. And so they call um, the, the prophets of Baal and they call um, Elijah to this mountain and they say, okay, let's go for it. And they sacrifice a bull. And... Elijah says, right, okay, guys, you believe in your God. I want you to, to call your God to set fire to this, um, 
to this offering here, to this sacrifice. And so they're calling on God and they're saying, you know, they call on their God, should I say, and they're, and they're calling him down and nothing's happening. And so they call a little bit louder and this is the bit that I love. I love that Elijah then says, maybe your God's asleep. Shout a little bit louder. And so they call a little bit louder and they reach a point where they're hurting themselves in the process and and Elijah's just standing back and watching this and he's kind of going, okay, whatever. You know, we'll see in a minute. We'll see what's going to happen. And that, you know, he's in this massive, he's really facing adversity here, but he is still faithful in what he believes. And so nothing happens and these prophets, they're absolutely destroyed. There is nothing left of what they've got to give and so Elijah comes along and he says okay what I'd like you to do then is I'd like you to pour some water onto the onto the wood and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and now I'm no scientist but I'm pretty certain that something when it's saturated in water can't be set on fire I think I remember that from science lessons and so in the face of science this shouldn't happen what, what is about to happen shouldn't happen. But this wood is drenched and it is absolutely saturated. It's flowing off, off the offering. And Elijah just stands there and he says, God, if you are God, then, I don't know, might have said something like, do your thing or whatever. But in that moment, suddenly this offering goes up in flames. And at that point, God reveals himself. And I love this because... Um, he then says, um, it says in 1 Kings 18, it says, when the, people, when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah commands the prophets of Baal um, to be killed. But then he says, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. And I love that because he stands in front of the prophets and he declares again that there would once more be that sound, the sound that they had longed for for so long. And so Elijah proved that um, the resilience of the prophets, it wasn't going to do them any good, but he proved that in the face of his adversity that, that something good could come out of that. And so sometimes... I believe that, you know, we must recognise that where we put our focus isn't always in the right place and that we have to remember that our eyes should be fixed on him. It should, they, those, our eyes should be fixed on God. And, you know, it says in Hebrews, it, it, it refers to God as um, the author and the finisher or the author and perfecter of our faith. And I just think when we believe in that, when we begin to remember those things, that actually it is God and, and as I've said it already, God is God and God is good and God is God. When we believe that and when we begin to remember that and call that to mind, that we can begin to hear the sound of heavy rain again in our lives. And so this phrase that, that God proves that he would be the one to bring the rain. And um, people kind of looked at me a little bit blankly when I said this um, back at, uh, in Sedgley, but I'm pretty sure, I'm like... 99% sure that like a wrestler or somebody has coined the phrase bring the rain and often that is I'm, I'm, see John's laughing that must be true that you know the, this idea of bring something powerful bring something heavy and, and you'll get the job done when you bring the rain you're about to basically kick butt and see something done and so I love that um, 
that imagery of actually seeing something powerful happen. And God literally did that. He brought the rain to the situation where they needed it the most. And so we can use that imagery to describe the dominance that God has over every single situation. These people living in, living, you know, in this place, they had no rain. And I'm pretty sure for crops to grow and for all of these things to happen, for life cycles to carry on, you need water, you need sustenance on the land. And with no rain, no sustenance, there's drought, there's famine, and these people had nothing. And so what's happening here is God is reinforcing in these people's lives that he, in these people's lives that he is the one that if you are faithful to him will bring you what you need but where did it go wrong because for Elijah something suddenly happens and you've seen this moment of God is good and and God is brilliant in everything he's done and he's he's true to his word and and we believe in him but Elijah decided that he was going to listen to another voice. And there's a woman in the Bible um, called Jezebel. And she um, wants Elijah dead. Simple as. So Elijah flees. He flees to a place called Horeb. And he flees from Jezebel and from the people that she has sent after him. And we read that Elijah was afraid because Jezebel had threatened him. And by listening to her voice, he took his eyes off the call of God on his life. And instead, he lived in fear of this woman. And doing a little bit of research into this and knowing sort of and experiencing these things before, we talk often in church about this thing called the spirit of Jezebel. And it's, it's, it's massive. It's huge. I can't describe it enough tonight. But it's this thing about manipulation and intimidation. And there is sometimes places and places that we go where we can walk into a situation, we can feel completely threatened and we can feel completely intimidated by something. We have no idea what that is. And as Christians, we can walk into things and go back to what I said about the whole break my heart for what breaks yours things. I've been put into situations where something's not right and I don't know what it is, but something is not right and I am intimidated. Now, if you know me, I am not easily intimidated. I am quite fierce. Um, and, you know, the, the kids that, that, that I teach, they're like, Mrs. Firm but Fair. And they're my year sevens. Coining that phrase as a year seven says quite a lot about me as a person, I think. She is firm but she's fair. I am renowned in the parents at Parents' Evening have come to me and they've said, the kids like you because they know where they stand. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, I've met your kid for six months, but they've told you that, that's okay. So I'm not easily intimidated, but I've been in these situations where I know that there is something that's not quite right. And I've been in Elijah's position where I have seen that God is moving, but all of a sudden I've listened to something that I shouldn't listen to. And I've believed somebody that has said something to me. And I'm suddenly back in a place where I don't feel quite right. And so there's three things tonight that I want to quickly look at. Um, and the first thing that I want to remind you of is that the voice of God is the only voice that matters. So Elijah listened to this woman Jezebel and, and consequently he suffered about a depression. And some even say that he experienced what it was to have a breakdown. And he ran from God and, and he ran from God's plan. And he'd replaced the voice of God with the voice of control. And so God needed to get Elijah's attention somehow. 
and he needed to bring him back to Horeb, um, literally translated as the Mount of God. He needed to bring him back to the mountain. And so the voice of God is so powerful in this moment because it is the voice of God that calls angels down to bring Elijah food. And it's the voice of God that brings Elijah the strength to carry on in his journey to pursue God again. And sometimes we need to recognise that there are voices that we listen to that will speak very differently to us. And again, you know, from my own experience, I can only talk from that tonight in this sense, but in my experience, I've experienced times where people who I have trusted have spoken to me and they've, they've tried to get me to do what they want to do. They've tried to mould me into their way of thinking. And yet... In doing that, they have made me fear who I am. And, they, and, and we're talking about, sometimes we're talking about Christians. And that's, that's heartbreaking to think that we, some of us have been in positions where other Christians have tried to say to us, do this my way. But actually tonight I would remind you that what God would say to you, the call that God has placed on your life is far greater than what anybody else could mould you into. And it's great that we can have aspirations to be like a certain person and that's, that's wonderful. But the second that we start listening to how another person wants you to be is the second where actually we stop listening to who God wants you to be and we start listening to what man would call you to be instead. And so... I've chosen to listen to those voices before, but I don't, I've, I've never seen anything good come from that. And so today, for those of you who have maybe listened not to a voice that brings you sustenance, and you maybe you've ignored the voice of good intention, today I declare a new day for you. And I believe that what God wants to bring about is a fresh anointing of, of his word, a word that literally tells you to get up and eat. So Elijah is, the voice of God calls the angels to bring Elijah food. But then it's the voice of God that says to Elijah, get up and eat. Because God recognised that Elijah had no sustenance. And what he needed in order to carry on his journey with God, to find God, was a bit of sustenance. So today, if you're in that place where actually you've listened to other people and you've listened to what other people are saying, I believe that what God would want to say to you is, get up and eat. Here it is for you, but I can't feed you with it. You've got to get it yourself. And so maybe you need to search and seek God for that in, in this place tonight. And I think what God wants to, to remind you of is that he says in his word that to take captive every thought. And when we take captive every thought and we recognise that we are more than what people would have us believe. And when we start to believe that again, we can begin to declare his goodness. Um, when I was promised the desires of my heart by man, only for that to be used to make me conform to, conform to their pattern, it crushed me. And I could have chosen to stay there, but I took that moment that Elijah was in, hidden under a bush. And it says that he'd hidden himself under a bush and... He was, he basically put himself there to die. But I took that moment and I heard God tell me to eat and I did. And maybe that's what, you, what you're experiencing. And I don't know that there, might, there aren't people in this room tonight where actually you're about to give up on everything. And you've put yourself under, under a bush and you kind of said, you know what, just leave me here. 
leave me here because I'm, I'm no better than anybody and just leave me here. All my desires, all my dreams, all my plans to follow you, God, they're, they're gone. And just leave me where I am. But God wants to remind you that it is the time tonight to stop fearing the voice of the one who calls you on and to actually listen to him, to lift your head, lift your head and remind yourself of the promises that he's given to you. And when you seek God to speak to you, you won't be disappointed. And the one thing that I've found, and I'm sure plenty of you have found here, is that God may not work how you imagined him to, but he will work. And so that leads me nicely into point number two, which is that we need to start looking for God in the hurricane. Um, and it says in 1 Kings 19, if I can find it. Yeah. So um, the Lord says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. And so God doesn't just show up in our lives. He doesn't just pop in for a cup of coffee and says, oh, I haven't seen you for six months. How about it? Let's, let's catch up some time. He's always around. But actually what we forget is that he is always around. And so for some of us, what we do is, is we treat God as if we haven't seen him for six months and let's catch up for a coffee. And we pop in when we need something or we pop in when actually we remember that he's around. And so we need to remember that he is always there. And the second thing about this is that God has plans for our life. And we know that. We can quote Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. Some of us might have it up in the house. I don't know. But we can quote that all day, every day, and yet still not believe that there is a plan and a purpose for our lives. And this is something that, I wrote in a, in, in a blog, actually, was that when we, choose to go, when we choose to give God the control of our lives, we automatically give him the right to direct us where he wants us to go, even if that's not what we want. So when we say to God, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, that's great. But there's no point saying it if we don't mean it. So when you say things, when you pray things like that, don't, don't be surprised if one day God actually has you in the car on your way to work crying because you've heard something that you didn't want to hear on the radio or you've read a news story and you, you don't know how to respond to it because actually when you say those things, God works in those things. And we need to begin to declare things but believe that we declare them because I'm, I'm sure I've done it and there are probably others in you in this room who've gone, yeah, God, I believe it. Yes, let's do this. And actually six months later, you've forgotten about it altogether. And you've had that hype moment of, yeah, let's go for it. I'm going to change my nation. And yet, actually, when you come out of that massive moment, what happens when actually you're given the position to change the community where you live? Do you take it or do you back away from it? And so we can fight against this will of God, but we can end up more lost than when we began. And we can try to fit God into that little box that we've got. But that does not work. And so after the event of um, the fire, and it says again in 1 Kings 19, um, it says, where is it? Oh no. Hang on. Small print, I can't actually read it. 
Okay. Um, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And so after the fire on the mountain beforehand with the sacrifice, Elijah's expectations of God were that he would show up bigger and better than ever the next time. And that's, that's okay. Because when God shows up in a mighty way in your life, what you want is actually for him to say, yeah, I'm going to show up even better than that next time. And you wait for those moments where you get that thunderclap and suddenly the world is right again and there's blue skies and rainbows wherever you go because that's how God works. But actually, while Elijah was in the cave, God told him that he was going to pass by. And there were several indications of this. But the point is, is that they were only indications. So you get the wind. You get the wind, and that's great. And then you get the earthquake. Or the hurricane. The hurricane. And then you get the earthquake, and then you get the fire. And Elijah couldn't find God in any of those things. And the thing is, is that when our hurricane moments are less about an indication of God passing by, and more about the engineering of making God work how we expect him to, we completely miss the point. And sometimes we can allow it that the loud sounds, that the, the things that are engineered, the, you know, the, the smoke machines and, the, and the, the flashy lights, that we can go into those moments and they're brilliant moments and I don't knock them. I wish that our church had the money to be able to afford some of the, you know, the, the, the light systems that that other people have because literally you can't see us sometimes on the stage and you need just somebody to, you know. But in all honesty, when we, when we only have those moments, when there are moments that engineer something, are they really designed for us to meet with God? And actually, you know, for some of us, we need that quiet whisper where actually God comes and speaks to us again. And I'm, I'm not saying at all that I'm against creating an atmosphere in which we can bring people to. Because actually what's brilliant is that we can bring people to something that looks good. And in the process of that, something happens in their lives too. But what I mean is, is that when we find ourselves worrying that the lights aren't the right shade of purple or the smoke machine isn't blowing at exactly the second we want it to, what is that doing to us in our experience of God that is engineering something with him that actually we don't need to do because as I've said he is there and sometimes we engineer those moments expecting it that God is going to come through the door because we haven't seen him for six months but actually he's present and he's waiting for us to acknowledge his presence and so this is something that I've really become aware of especially as we run as we run young adults, is that we get people from churches that are larger than ours that have come to me and said, do you know what? I love that when we're with you that I hear God speak to me. And I love that because that's what we set young adults up for, was that moment where God can speak to people again in somewhere that is not necessarily their normal setting. But that makes me really sad that in their normal setting, they don't hear God speak to them. And so it's something that can be a challenge to all of us that, you know, we're not about orchestrating a show, but we want to be aware of those whispers of God. 
And the thing is with a whisper is that a whisper is only intended for you to hear. And I love that. We played Chinese whispers with our kids at a kids club and um, funnily enough doing this exact same story. And we got to the point where we said to the kids, right, we're going to play Chinese whispers. And the message that went round was, what are you doing here? And we whispered that into every child's ear. And some of them got it wrong and the leaders had to put it back on track. But it got back round and the message was clear. What are you doing here? And I loved that because at that point in time, it showed the message to the kids of actually when God whispers to you, he's whispering to you. He doesn't want the person next to you to hear the things that he wants for you. He wants that moment where he can sit with you and tell you about you. He wants those moments where he can tell you how much he loves you and where he can whisper into your ear the things that nobody else needs to be bothered about, but only you need to know. And so sometimes we need to be aware of those indications of God. We need to be aware that in those big moments, God is, God is around and God is present. But please, let me challenge you tonight to take those whisper moments and be aware that that is when God moves dare I say it, the most. Because it's in those moments where actually we are vulnerable and we can wave our hands around in the air with everybody else. But when it comes to those private moments, what is it that God is doing on the inside? And so, finally, tonight I want to challenge you with with this is that we need to respond to the questions that God asks us. So Elijah had heard the voice of God, he'd heard the voice of control, sorry, and he'd run from it. And he was fearful of what was going to happen. But he heard the voice of God in a whisper. And it says this, it says, um, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And in verse 13 it said, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah always makes these excuses and he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint, and then there's a whole list of people, anoint these people. And then, um, I can't read their names. So then he says, um, to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from somewhere, to, anoint, to succeed you as prophet, okay? And so he says, go and find Elisha. Okay, but you've got to go back the way you came to get to where you need to go. So what he's saying to Elijah is, you've got to go down the mountain. And so he, he, he's asked this question of where are you? What are you doing here? And why are you here? There was no big secret revealed in Elijah's encounter with God. There wasn't a massive miracle. There was just a question, a reply and a command. So the question provoked a response. It wasn't a closed question. It wasn't a yes, no answer. It provoked a response within Elijah and he couldn't ignore what God was asking him. When God asks you where you're going or what you're doing, 
the chances are that you're probably not in the place that you should be. And so Elijah was not in the right place. There was no point in being in the cave. There was no point in being under the bush. There was no point in him being anywhere other than where God needed him to be. But God orchestrated that moment of you're not in the right place, but I'm still going to speak to you to tell you where you need to go. And he needed to alert Elijah of his ineffectiveness to serve while he was hidden in a cave. What's the point in you being here, Elijah? Because actually where I want you to be, you're going to do something brilliant. And when God asks a question that requires a response, we can't ignore it. And this is what I've put in my notes. And I can use this example because he's not here, so it's okay. Um, It's a little bit like seeing somebody who's read your text message six hours ago and not replied to it. Um, Ben regularly will, I will text him on my, you know, break time or lunchtime at work and I'll say, how's your day going? And it will come up more or less straight after after I've sent it with a little read receipt at the bottom, read 1328. And then I'll check my phone in between lessons and there's no reply. And I'll check my phone at the end of the day and there's no reply. And he'll get home from work four hours later and I'm like, did you read my text message? And he's like, oh yeah, I did. Well, why haven't you responded? And so it's a little bit like that. Actually, when God speaks to us, sometimes we, we kind of look at it and we go, yeah, cool, okay, nice, thanks for, thanks for getting in touch. But actually, do you know what? And this is exactly what I've put in my notes. If anything, it's just rude. So actually, when we don't respond to somebody, actually, sometimes it's important. Ruth's panicking tonight because I haven't responded to her message. And it's like, no, no, I did get it. I was in a meeting. And I did reply to it after her phone had exploded and died. So, but actually, if I hadn't responded to Ruth's message, that's just rude of me. Like, to not even say, yeah, thanks. That's just rude. And so when God actually responds to us in a way that he talks to us and he says something to us, and we kind of just in one ear, out the other with it, actually, God wants to tell us something that's important. And we need to respond to those moments So responding to God requires us to be brave, even braver sometimes than facing the thing that we're fearful of. And for Elijah, it was easier to face the consequences of running from Jezebel than it was to do what God required him to do next. And so God needed Elijah to return down that mountain. I've already said that to you. And his command required strength and bravery. It commanded obedience of probably more than Elijah could give at that time. But God gave him everything he needed. If Elijah had stayed at the mountain, there would be many things that hadn't come into being. And there would be many kings that wouldn't have been crowned. That list of names that I can't pronounce, there were kings. You need to go and crown this king. You need to go and anoint him king of this place, king of this place and king of this place. There would have been people who would never have seen the goodness of God in their lives. But the most obvious is that there would have never been a man to pass the blessing on to. And that man was Elisha. And Elisha was at the bottom of the mountain. And although he didn't know it, God was preparing a man to come to him and give him the courage to pass on his anointing to Elisha. And it says... 
if I can go... Yes, I got it. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was ploughing with 12 yokes of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And so within our walk with God, sometimes we can fail to see the bigger picture. We kind of become a bit blinkered and we look at what's happening here and now. But actually we need to see that actually he's, as much as we're looking for God, God's looking for us. And in that moment, Elijah was running from God but God was looking for Elijah. And so we need to realise that as Elijah pursued God, God had already found him. And God knew that he needed Elijah, but he needed to get him to a place where he could ask the questions necessary to move him along in his journey. And some of us tonight, we're in that place that we, we can't quite understand what's going on. And we've let the voices of fear and anger and, and control sort of take over in our lives and we need to begin to get to a place again where we can hear that voice of God speaking to us and reminding us and whisper, that whisper of God to remind us what he wants and who he is in our lives and you know for some of us we're in that position we never thought we'd find ourselves in back in October when I was put onto medication for anxiety I never believed that I'd find myself in that position it was a place where I'd always thought that I could control and that I could deal with. But actually, it was a moment of which I recognised that without some help here, I believe that God is good. But I also believe that God, you know, gave people the ideas for, for medicine to help us out at times where we need them. And I believe that, that God has been so good in that situation but I never believed that I would be there in the first place. And sometimes what God, what God has for us, we have to recognise where we need his intervention in the first place. And others of us just need to respond to the questions that he's asking you. Because God is looking for you. He's always looking and he's always finding. We just need to create those moments with him where he can come ever closer to us. And he can speak to us and remind us that right now, at this moment, we might not be on the right path, but there's always a way back onto the right path. And so, as we finish tonight, I just, um, I'll hand back over to John in a, in a second, but I'm praying that this message has spoken to you. And I'm hoping that for all of us, we recognise that actually God wants to speak to us. He wants to... Um, to work in our lives. And I believe that this year, that actually God will begin to make sense of some of the situations that you've been through and that he will begin to reveal himself afresh to you. Um, and, you know, I just believe that we serve a God that works all things for our good. And he did it for Elijah and he can do it for us tonight. Thank you for um, having me. I've uh, loved it. So thank you, guys. <laughs>